Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Tough news in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, uncertain to play Saturday against the Dallas Cowboys due to a sprained shoulder that he suffered during Sunday's win over the Bears. This leaks uh, from leak sources telling our Adam Schefter earlier today with Chris Canty, I'm Ian Fitzsimmons, and for Chris Carlin. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And, you know, Chris, when you, when you see that story, before we get to the top five things I saw on an NFL weekend. We'll get to more of your phone calls. So if you're on, you're on hold right now, we will get to you coming up in just a moment here at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. For anybody just tuning in, you've had a similar injury to your, your, your shoulder that Jalen Hurts is dealing with right now. How long does it take to come back from your instant reaction when you saw the news? Yeah, it's going to – Yeah, listen, for me it took a month dealing with a separated shoulder. I don't know the severity of what Jalen Hurts is dealing with, but when they call it – a shoulder strain, you're talking about the ligament in that AC joint being stretched a little bit. And as a quarterback, I can't imagine how long that's going to take you to come back from when it's on your throwing shoulder, just the motion, the movement that it takes to drive the ball in those intermediate and deeper routes. I think that's going to create a lot of discomfort for Jalen Hurts. So I'd be interested to see the timeline that the Eagles lay out. But the good thing for the Eagles is they have a quality backup in Gardner Minshew, and they only need one more game, one more win, to lock up the number one seed in the NFC. So I think that's what they're keeping an eye towards. If they can get that win, then all of a sudden you afford yourself time to be able to rest Jalen Hurts and get him ready for the playoff run. How much do you weigh the rust versus rest? Well, here's the thing. I think a player has to be 100% healthy. Um, I know that's crazy to say because nobody's 100% healthy this time of year. But in terms of being able to do his job, you know, the, the functional movement, that the quarterback needs in order to execute his responsibilities. That's what you're looking for from Jalen Hurts. And when you're talking about an injury to his throwing shoulder, that's delicate. You have to be careful with that. This is the Eagles franchise quarterback. And as great an opportunity as they have to win the big one this year, it's not just about this year. It's about the next decade because this is your franchise guy. So I think the Eagles have to be really careful in terms of how they handle it. I'm not saying it has to be with kids' gloves, but I would be really surprised if we saw Jalen Hurts in the next couple of weeks in the National Football League, and if it's not going to be in the next couple of weeks, I'd be surprised if we see him in a regular season at all anymore. Wow. All right, now, look, this is a cheap second guess, I think. Because I didn't think of this, but you played, and you got a Super Bowl ring. So I'm going to defer to you here. But it's a close game, and you brought up when we when, uh, during the Sports Center update, during the top of the hour break, you posed an interesting question. Why are you running Jalen Hurts in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't understand it. I mean, it was first and 10. You've got the ball on your 18-yard line. You're up by four points. It's a 17-13 game with a minute left in the third quarter. Why are you running your quarterback? I could understand having the urgency to run your quarterback when you're down in a game like that and you're on the road. I get it, but not with a lead. It was a zone read scheme, and Jalen Hurts made the right read The defensive end, Travis Gibson, came crashing down. You got to pull that ball and run to the perimeter, run the daylight. But the defense did a really good job of setting the edge. They forced Jalen Hurts to turn up, and you know that's where the teeth of the defense is. And your quarterback is going to take a hit. 
And so based on where the Eagles are at with their overall season and where they're at in that game specifically, it just didn't make sense to put your quarterback at risk. And I have that's an answer th- for you. What's that? They're running their offense. No, and, I, and, I, and Ian, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all well and good. You can run your offense, but then when things like this pop up, that's when you second-guess what the coaching staff is doing. And here's the deal. If you're putting your quarterbacks in harm's way, you damn well better have a good reason for it. I didn't see a good reason for doing that in yesterday's game in that situation. I just didn't. He's Chris Canty. I'm Ian Fitzsimmons in for Carlin here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. We'll get to more of your phone calls coming up right after this when we get to top five. Which teams were great? Breaks a tackle at the 15, 10, 5, touchdown! What player was not? Does he hang on? Intercepted! He couldn't hang on! This is the NFL Top 5, Bottom 5. Number 5. Canty will have the bottom five. I've got top five. Give me Joey B and his band of Bengals, man. Hello. 27 of 39, four touchdowns. They stunk it up in the first half but he was Joey B in the second half. He was Ohio State in the first half. He was LSU in the second half. And that <laughs> squad has now won double-digit games in back-to-back years. Who day? Number four. Staying with young quarterbacks, how about T-Law, otherwise known as Trevor Lawrence? Well, he's been Trevor Lawrence so far in the NFL. Now he's T-Law. He had his first signature moment in the National Football League. 27 of 42, 318 yards, four touchdowns, and a come-from-behind win against America's team, one of Canty's former teams in the Dallas Cowboys. Now the Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, with a real coaching staff, they are one game out of the division lead in the AFC South. They've already beaten the Titans once. Who do they play in the final week? Oh, yeah, the Tennessee yeah. Titans at their place. Hello, T-Law. Welcome to the National Football League. Number three. I'm going away from the league in a, in a different kind of way. Frank Gore broke tackles against Dick Buckus and Chris Canty. Frank Gore <laughs> Sr. was in the league long enough to do those things. Well, Frank Gore Jr. in his bowl game against Southern for Southern Miss against Rice, 21 carries, 329 wow. rushing yards <laughs> and two touchdowns. I don't care if it was in college. I don't care if it was against Rice. You go for 329 against air and you're getting something done. Frank Gore Sr., your son, toted it and toted it well for 329 yards. Give it up for him. Number two. Kansas City. Wasn't pretty, but you take a win any time in the National Football League. Kansas City wins seven straight division titles mm. with an overtime win in Houston against the Texas mm. Texans. Patrick Mahomes' first game, by the way, in the state of Texas as quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, his home state being from Tyler. Congratulations to Kansas City. You win seven straight division titles in the league. Man, that's beyond the tip of a cap. That's bowing down. Yeah, that's the second most. I think New England has the most at 11 straight division titles. But that's pretty damn good by Andy Reid and Kansas City Chiefs. Goodness gracious. And the number one. Let's go to Vegas, baby. If you're a Patriots fan, it's probably bottom five. It's probably going to be in Canty's bottom five. But it also is in the top five, and it's number one. That ending 
not only changed a lot of money with a lot of people's hands and in their wallets and cashing tickets and ripping them up, but it was one of the strangest, most fascinating, entertaining, hypnotic in- endings to an NFL game that we've seen in years. And the stiff arm that Chandler Jones put on Mac Jones, hey, Chandler, call Mac's parents and say, look, sorry I had to embarrass your baby boy on national television, but that one hurt. I mean, when I say hurt, it hurt Mac Jones, it hurt the Patriots, it hurt his family. That was embarrassing, and that was my number one moment from an NFL weekend that was absolutely insane. Yeah, here's the thing. I got to get after you, big fella, because you had a couple of glaring omissions, but none bigger than the noon nightmare himself, Kirk Cousins. How does the noon nightmare not sneak his way in there? My daughter gave him that nickname, man, around this How, house. how, how does know, the noon nightmare and Kirk Cousins not make it in there? I just want to get Frank Gore Jr. in there. And, and it was Saturday. I know, I get it. You're right. But if it's You're a right. noon game, yeah. you got I mean, Kirk Cousins, listen. The dude in second half of the game, 21-33, 330 yards, four touchdowns to only one pick. How do you not have the noon nightmare in there? The biggest comeback in NFL history. The biggest comeback in NFL history, Ian. The biggest Think about it. It's the biggest comeback. Bigger than the Bills' comeback against the Oilers in the 92 playoffs. Bigger than the comeback in Super Bowl 51, (laughs) which Matt Ryan coincidentally was on the losing side of as well. But bigger than both of those comebacks was what we saw at U.S. Bank Stadium on Saturday. And you didn't include it? Come forgot. on, man. Totally Come forgot. on, man. Yeah, it's on me. I'm a football fool. I admit it. On that one, you're right. Glaring omission. Glaring omission. And the new nightmare. I mean, look, it, it took the batteries a little while to get solar powered. First half, he stunk. 44 passing yards. He geared up. Got some solar power in the new nightmare batteries. Next thing you know, bam. There we go. End of conversation. There, there we go. Uh, yeah. It just, I'm an idiot. You're right. Should have <laughs> been in there. There it is. Plain and simple. Anybody who knows me knows that, that that's also true. He's Chris Canty. I'm Ian Fitzsimmons. More of your phone calls piggybacking that crazy ending in Patriots Raiders. Some of the most insane moments you remember in the National Football League. That's coming up next right here on ESPN Radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Did you miss Canty and Carlin?
seconds to go. Stevenson up the middle, drops it behind to Jacoby Myers, who circles, laterals it. It's picked up by Chandler Jones, going the other way. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. It's a miracle in Las Vegas. I don't remember an ending like that in recent history in the National Football League where players just went rogue and decided to lateral in a tie ball game at the, with zeros across the, clo- across the clock in the fourth quarter. With Chris Canty, I'm Ian Fitzsimmons in for Chris Carlin here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel. Lady. We'll get back to your phone calls on that very game and some of the most insane endings you can remember in the NFL at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-729. Three seven seven six. I mean, Chris, this is one that's just it. it you know, I've, I've talked about it since ten a.m. Central Time, where you're in Chicago, I'm in Dallas, Texas. This morning to right now, we still can't believe what we saw at the end of Raiders Patriots. No, I, I still can't process it because I don't understand how the players could lack situational awareness and decide that they want to lateral the football when their head coach calls a give up draw play in order to run the clock out and go into overtime. Now. One could argue, why not just get in the victory formation and have a kneel down and go into OT? Maybe that's the hindsight that's 2020 for Bill Belichick and his staff. But a draw play is akin to a kneel down. We see teams run draw plays all the time on third and forever where they don't want their quarterback to make a critical, consequential mistake. And in that instance, I thought that's exactly what Bill Belichick was doing. I think they were on the plus 45-yard line. They called a draw play to Ramondre Stevenson. If he hits it, great. If not, the worst thing that happens is he gets tackled and we go into overtime. I don't think in his wildest imagination, Bill Belichick thought that Ramondre Stevenson was going to lateral to Jacoby Myers, who would then in turn decide to throw it across the field back 25 yards to Mac Jones of all people. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, does he think Mac Jones is going to break it for 60 yards? Is, is Is that what he's banking on? It just makes no sense. You put your quarterback in harm's way, you put the football in harm's way, and bad things ultimately happen, and that w- that's what came back to bite the Patriots in that game, and it could cost the Patriots a playoff spot. Yeah, that was not the double down that you wanted to do in Vegas, what no. Jacoby Myers did after Armando no. Stevenson lateraled him uh, the football. Armando in Texas. Armando, you're on ESPN Radio. What do you got? Uh so you're talking about the crazy endings. I'm a Cowboys fan, so you know I got a lot of those, and they're not good. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, you know, just of course, the first thing that came to mind was that year, oh, oh, a, a Ron got us uh, in the playoffs with that death that that it was a catch. 2014. Oh, that was. That was a crappy ending for us. Uh, second, when Tony Romo uh, fumbled when he was hold, when he was holding for that kick in Seattle. 2006. I was on that team. Uh, Thank you for bringing up that, that painful hurt. memory, Armando. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you. And uh, and then of course the way it ended for us last year, man. And then now. I'm just like, are you seeing them play? You know the way they played against the Texans. Which I'm glad they came back and won that, but the first thing that came to my mind was, here we go again. And then that that game yesterday just, uh, I mean, it just, uh, it's so hard to be a Cowboys fan in December and January, I'll tell you that much. Armando, hang in there. The fat man's coming down the chimney coming up this weekend. So you have that going for you. Armando, thanks for your phone call. 
Chris, you, you've been, as you mentioned, you were part of that, that, that K-ball game out in Seattle where the ball slipped through Romo's hands. He still had a chance to get the first down. He's going around left end. Didn't have to score and the Jordan touchdown. Bab- and Jordan Babineau tackled him. And he was off the off the, like a Budweiser truck or something, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it just added to the roster. Yeah. You've been a part of some interesting endings. What's yeah. the one that hurts the most? Oh, man, there's several. I, I mean, Bill Belichick in the divisional round when I played for the Ravens, he did the eligible, ineligible receiver where he had only four offensive linemen, and he had six guys deployed in the formation. We didn't know what the hell was going on, who was eligible to catch a pass, who wasn't. That got us, and we were up by 14 in that game. But the one that really, really stands out in my mind when I played for the Dallas Cowboys, it's not the divisional game where Romo throws the pick to R.W. McCorders uh, at the end of it um, against the New York Giants who went on to win the Super Bowl. It's actually the second game of my NFL career in 2005 where we play the Washington Commanders on Monday night football. And we're up with less than four minutes to go, 13 to nothing. Fourth and 15 from the 40-yard line, Mark Brunel rears back, throws a bomb to Santana Moss. Okay, they score a touchdown. It's fourth and 15, less than four minutes left. We're going to get the ball back, and certainly our offense is going to put together a drive and milk the clock. Our offense only forces the Washington commanders to use one timeout. On second and eight, Drew Bledsoe throws an incompletion, which was absolutely ridiculous. On third down, it's a completion to Keyshawn Johnson, but it's well short of the line of the game. Kick the ball back to the Washington Commanders. 70-yard bomb to Santana Moss from Mark Brunel. They go up 14-13, game, set, match. Ball game's over. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for coming out. That was the worst way to lose a football game. The only way we could have lost was on two big plays to Santana Moss, and that's exactly how we lost. That crushed me. I was like, there's no way this is what life in the NFL can be like, but that's what it was. <laughs> that's a rookie out of that, That's what it was in my second game in the National Football League. You were a part of this one, too. We're going to take us back in time on this one. Highlight. Hit it. Two seconds back on. Thank you. And Deshaun Jackson, who has averaged 14th best in the NFL, 8.7 yards per return, has not returned one for a touchdown this year. Waits. And it's a line drive kick. Jackson bobbles it and now has to try and recover. Deshaun Jackson gets a block. Are you kidding? Deshaun Jackson still not in and now in for the touchdown. No flags. Unbelievable. No time left. Eagles win. Joe Buck on the call. The look oh on your God. face is you like you have your that big old bear paw of a hand that you're like rubbing oh your forehead. The oh pain. The pain. Yeah, that, that was that was really painful. So on the sideline, I'm a defensive guy, so I'm coming off the field, and I hear, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm about to go on the field, but I, I hear Coach Coughlin tell Matt Dodge, our punter, don't Direction. kick the ball <laughs> to Deshaun Jackson. Whatever you do. Don't kick it to him. Kick it out of bounds. You know, kick it in the air. Don't kick it to Deshaun Jackson. What does he do? Line drive punt to Deshaun Jackson. I mean, the ball got down there, clearly outkicked the coverage, but it was one of those knuckleballers where Deshaun Jackson actually fumbled the ball initially when he was fielding it. 
the first wave of defenders blows past him. He picks the ball up and houses it. And in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, how does this happen? We're up 31 to 10 with eight minutes to go in the game. 31 to 10. And we lose 38 to 31. Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. Michael Vick put on a show. I mean, he had a 65-yard pass to Brett Selleck. He had another big boy throw to Jeremy Macklin. I mean, it was just it was unbelievable what Michael Vick did in that situation. That's when he was officially back as an NFL caliber quarterback. Uh, and it was just it was incredible to lose a game like that. But that is absolutely one of the most gut-wrenching losses. There's a reason why they call it Miracle at the Meadowlands, too. It was, it was absolutely as bad as the first one. You know what's amazing is that every coach, every player that I know, they remember those moments more than the good ones. They don't remember yeah. the ring and the confetti if you win the Lombardi <clears throat> as no. much as you win, remember those moments in unbelievable detail like you're telling right now. Ramondre Stevenson and the Patriots, they'll be the same way for a lot of years. We know one NFL ending that really, really cut our next guest to the core, and you don't want to miss it when you come back right here on ESPN Radio. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Is it hers or the team? All it will provide is bulletin board material. Listen, this is all the smoke right here. Listen, and that's how football is supposed to be. We have familiarity with, and they have familiarity with us. I'm pretty sure they hate me. <laughs> Chill in the background, that little cackle. Just a little one. Just a small, small a one. Clarence Hill Jr. used to cover Canty back in the day for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. With Chris Canty, I'm Ian Fitzsimmons. This is ESPN Radio. I'm in for Chris Carlin on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. And at this time, every Monday, Mina Kimes returns to the program, a brilliant football mind. And when it comes to uh, the game and the analytics, she knows it about as well as anybody. And Mina, thanks for your time, as always, here on an overreaction Monday when you heard Jalen Hurts hurt, probably uncertain, probably won't play Saturday against the Dallas Cowboys with that hurt throwing shoulder, your reaction was what? Well, I think there's a twofold aspect of this. There's what does it mean for the regular season, and then what does it mean for the playoffs? Um, fortunately, because the Eagles have built up such a cushion with their lead, and you know they've gained some ground over the Vikings, of course they beat, uh, they really only need to win one game, and after the Cowboys have got – the Giants in the States, and I do believe they can win one of those games with Gardner Minshew for litany of reasons, first and foremost being that offense is so stacked. 
However, let's say Jalen sits, comes back for the postseason. I think that's probably where this thing is headed. What I want to see is if the injury hampers him anyway, either as a runner or throwing that deep ball that has been such a revelation for the offense this year. Because, you know, that is, I think, where you start to worry about a team with Super Bowl aspirations if the quarterback is limited in any way. And I don't think we'll know that until he comes back. Mina, another angle on the Jalen Hurts injury is how it impacts the MVP race with this latest development. How do you see that race unfolding over the next three weeks? You know, Patrick Mahomes was uh, my pick with Jalen coming in second. I suspect that if he misses more than one game, and again, we'll see how things shake out, that the Mahomes will run away with the thing. Like I said, I had him picked anyways. I just think the value he's bringing to that offense, the way he's playing the quarterback position right now is the best in the NFL, frankly. But, you know, I did have Hurts second. Uh, so it's going to be comp- dependent on the injury because, as you guys know, MVP also is kind of a narrative award. And he did have the more interesting and novel narrative uh, before this injury. Mina, what about Joe Burrow? Does he have a chance to sneak in this conversation? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I think he's kind of worked his way probably into the top five or so. But, um, you know, I actually still have him behind, in my personal rankings, behind Josh Allen, who I thought mm. has come storming back because of, uh, you know, the value, what he did against the most valuable player. The, the, the Bills offense, uh, Josh Allen is the offense, you know, and so I think his performances recently have brought him back. Mina Kimes here with us on an overreaction Monday here on Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80 with Chris Canty, the Super Bowl champ. I'm Ian Fitzsimmons. Go to the Dallas Cowboys. I make my home in Dallas. Canty played for the Cowboys for years. Um, you look at that game, a lot of people are putting a lot of the blame, most of the blame on the shoulders of Dak Prescott. I'm going it's a total team loss for the Dallas Cowboys. From play calling to the defense to Dak Prescott. What do you think, Mina? Oh, I would put the bulk of the blame on the defense. Um, surprised that people are – well, I guess I'm not surprised because Dak tends to be kind of like a lightning rod, but – um, watching that, you know, he had one bad interception, one that clearly wasn't his fault. But the defense looked not just vulnerable uh, in this game, but vulnerable in a way that they've looked at various times during the season, which is what has me concerned. Pardon me, has, has me concerned about this team. Um, you can beat them running outside the tackles. They can't seem to stop, stop end arounds. I mean, I think the Jaguars had like. Uh, I don't think they ran an unsuccessful end around sweep or reverse in this game. So they can't fit the run. You can attack the linebackers in coverage. And then, of course, after losing Anthony Brown, uh, they went after uh, the backup corners. And I think that's going to be a problem as they go into the playoffs. So I, I am worried about this defense because basically offenses have figured out how to negate their biggest strength, which is, of course, the pass rush. Talking with ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes on Canty and Carlin. And, Mina, I've been a part of some awful losses in the NFL. I was on the wrong side of Miracle at the Meadowlands, too. I was on the losing side of the wild card game in 2006 up in Seattle with Tony Romo bobbled what would have been the go-ahead yeah. field goal to win that game. Yeah. So we've, we've been having some fun <laughs> with, our, with our callers off of the Pats Raiders game. And so I had to ask you the question, what's the worst ending you've ever seen in the NFL? So I, I was at the 28-3 to Super Bowl, and I'll never forget what it was like being in that building when the inevitability of the comeback set in. And if you were there, you would know it set in long before 
uh, Patriots ultimately won it. I think it was probably the Dante Hightower strip sack when you started noticing Falcons fans just looking at each other and just the nervousness. And afterwards, I was in both locker rooms, and I don't know if I've ever seen a locker room like that Falcons one, man. That was just brutal. So that that's the worst one I've ever seen in person. I, I we, thought you were going to bring up Super Bowl 49, Mina. Thank you. I thought you were going to bring it up, Mina. Well, I wasn't there, thank God. And the other thing about that one is – it happened, like, so fast that it was kind of like shock, but it wasn't – I don't know. It's hard to explain. It, it wasn't an extreme. And the other thing is the Seahawks had won the year before, so that took the edge off a little bit. Yeah, I understand the last part. Being a Saints fan 09, yeah, those guys were the beloveds after that. So I, I get where you're coming from. Mina, we always enjoy the visits. Thank you so much for your time every Monday. Bye, guys. See you. Mina Kimes here with us. On ESPN Radio. That ESPN. play ended yeah. a dynasty. It Dude, ended a dynasty I in Seattle. started another one. I am. And it did start another Patriots <laughs> dynasty. That's true. That actually happened. Ended one. We cranked up another one. Oh like the God. 18th time. I'm with you. I thought she was going to go Malcolm Butler. Yeah. Right there. End zone. Yeah. Goal line. Why not run it? Unbelievable. I'm a little bit, little bit surprised. Unbelievable. All right. He's Chris Canty. I'm Ian Fitzsimmons. Uh, coming up, when you return, some awful clock management and one decision the Cowboys made that cost them well before Dak's INT, right here on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Canty and Carlin. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Oh, yes. Don't you love this music, Ian? That NFL music. Oh. Hair on your neck. Oh. If you have any, starts to stand up. You get, oh. you get the goosebumps. This is great. Nothing's better than that. Caffeine Especially when we get to December music. football. You notice how the speed of the game picks up a little bit this time of year? The dash Just a little bit. for cash. Little bit. And in case anybody doesn't know what that is, that's playoff checks. Hello. Look, he knows. No playoff knows. checks here on Candy and Carlin, but we love talking about it, though. Let's get to it, man. Let's get to it. Three moments that had us all going, or do what? Mike McDaniel, head coach, Miami Dolphins. Two-point conversion call early in the third quarter on Saturday. After the Dolphins scored on Jalen Waddle's 67-yard tud, early in the third, the Dolphins went for two. 21-19, Buffalo led and failed to get it. Canty, your reaction. Don't hate the call, actually. I don't hate the call. At some point, you were going to have to get it because you're chasing points, and you realize that that Buffalo outfit is going to score. So it was a situation where I didn't mind it because you had the rest of the second half to convert on other two-point conversions if you needed to have extra tries if the score dictated it. So you knew you had to get the points at some point. I don't mind them going for it sooner rather than later. I know that conventional wisdom says you put the two-point try off until the last possible moment. Yes. But in that instance, I don't necessarily mind it, especially when the Dolphins ultimately ended up going up 26-21 against the Bills. 
I don't care what your coach is, who it is. You don't chase points until the fourth quarter. And I understand Mm. analytics say go for two there. Yep. But Kalani Sataki, head coach of BYU, told me this last year. And as a matter of fact, he brought it back in their bowl week uh, media sessions when he was asked about how much he leans on analytics. He said, the analytics may tell you to get from the third floor to the ground. It should jump out the window. But it's not a good idea. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta you have to really smell the room and feel the game. And in that moment, you don't chase points. You kick the extra point. You make it 21-20 because guess what happened? They needed that point toward the end. And if they'd have had it, maybe this thing plays out differently. I hate going for two until it's the fourth quarter unless you're down big. Yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from, especially in the instance of looking at it from the Bills' perspective because when the Bills scored that touchdown, uh, what was it, with nine minutes to go early on in that fourth quarter, they ended up going for two in that situation, uh, and they converted on the two-point conversion. But if you're up by by uh, by nine in that situation, maybe they don't go for two. So I, I'm with you on that one. It, it could have ultimately changed the complexion of the game down the stretch. But that's not why the Miami Dolphins no, lost that no, game. No, it's not. The I, I, Miami Dolphins lost that game because Josh Allen is a damn good quarterback. And the running back for the Buffalo Bills, Devin Singletary, had much better situational awareness than Ramondre Stevenson did. <laughs> well done. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know about that. Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator. Dallas Cowboys, third and ten on the play call. Up three, Kellen Moore calls a pass play. All go, all three receivers head down the field. On third and ten with a buck 20 left, and the Jags had a timeout left. Pass goes incomplete. Jaguars get the ball back with that one timeout remaining. We all know how that ended up. Jags end up coming from behind and beating your former team, the Dallas Cowboys. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't understand that sequencing with the play calls. I, I don't get it. Like, Ezekiel Elliott had got tackled in the backfield, a three-yard loss, forced Jacksonville to use a timeout. Then you go with Tony Pollard, another run. You, you get three yards back, so you're back at third and ten. The Jaguars use their second timeout. Why not go with another run play? Or if you're going to throw the ball, how about you target CeeDee Lamb on something at the sticks that's a high completion percentage throw? Why, why wouldn't you do that? Why go for a throw on an all-go special to Noah Brown, a pass that traveled 55 yards in the air and had a 12% probability of being completed? Why would you go with that call? And here's the other thing. If you're the quarterback and that's what the progression tells you to do on that particular play, why not just eat the ball, take a sack, and force Jacksonville to use their third timeout? Or let the clock run down, eat up all of the playcock, and make sure the Jags get the ball back with less than a minute to go. I mean, the Jaguars needed every single second in order to get in the field goal range. They got 41 yards in a minute and one second. They needed it, all of it. If you, if, if you do any of those things to eat up more clock, Jacksonville probably doesn't have a chance to force overtime. But Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, they all spit the bit in that situation. But that's not unusual for the Dallas Cowboys this time of year because we've seen it so many times. Again, all of those scenarios and all of those other options you just pointed out were better than all go on third and ten with a buck 20. Mike McCarthy, Cowboys head coach, explaining that play call. 
Well, they had a timeout there, so I mean, they, you know, your decision there is, you know, offensively, do you, you know, play a conservative and and uh, run the ball, take the time off, off the, you know, or you try to end the game. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty simple decision, you know. And when it converts, it's it's a great call. When it doesn't, it gets you get criticized for it. Uh, I don't know about that. Number three, clock management. Uh. Final drive. Jets have the ball against the Lions. Zach Wilson. Finds Garrett Wilson, 22 yards on 30-19 with a minute 22 to go. 24 seconds ran off the clock between that and an incompletion on first down. Second and 10. Found Wilson again for 10 yards with 53 seconds to go, but Salah did not call a timeout, and 23 seconds ran off before the next play. Wilson was sacked on second down with 19 seconds left. Then Robert Salah took his first timeout of the half. Then on fourth and 18, Zach Wilson finds Elijah Moore for 20 yards. Salah took his second timeout. That set up Greg Zerline's 58-yard field goal with one second left, and you still have the timeout left. You wasted 45 seconds between huge gains for first downs without taking timeouts. Why? You needed every single second because you had to settle for a 58-yard field goal from Greg Zerline. And let's be clear, he ain't Greg the leg no more. He's washed. So you needed to try to get closer. You needed more time so you could have another play to get a little bit closer so it's a higher percentage kick, and that didn't happen. I don't know how you can excuse what Rob Sala did at the end of that game because it's inexcusable. It was terrible clock management. Terrible. He, he tried to explain it in this 17-second clip. With three timeouts, I feel like um, anything in bounds, obviously you, you can be aggressive. You can still – just trying to save as many timeouts as I can. Um, I can probably look back at it and say we could have used one for sure. Uh, but at the same time, when you have three timeouts, time is not an issue whether you use one there or not. Time is an issue. What do you mean time is not an issue? You you, you, you had to settle for a 58-yard field goal. Clearly time was an issue. Why the hell are you taking a timeout into the locker room with you? It makes no sense. Rob Sala, you talk about keeping receipts? Keep that damn receipt because that loss is on the coach and he should be held accountable just like everybody else. Carlin, weekdays on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus.